As you take your seats, if you'd take out your Bibles, you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll give you a little bit of a preview as we move into these next three chapters. These are perhaps some of the most divisively used chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, They've been used to beat up various groups of people. They've been used to separate various denominations. They have been used in massive ways to do exactly the opposite thing that the Holy Spirit intended, which was to bring unity to the body of Christ. And so as the, the Apostle Paul opens this discourse on spiritual gifts, as we look at the principle of spiritual giftedness tonight, and we continue and break that down into a few subcategories next week, and then we look at Paul's masterful explanation of it in chapter 13, and then what he does with specifically the gift of tongues in chapter 14, I pray that we will see that God intends unity in the body of Christ. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not everyone looking the same and acting the same and doing church the same way. But unity is found in the Spirit of God working in the lives of believers in such a way that God could point to us and say, look, there's my kids. They act like me. They talk like me. They behave like me. And while these chapters can be divisively used, the Lord did not intend them to be so. And so I'm going to ask you if you have come to this church for a long time or if you've come for a short time or maybe you're visiting or perhaps you have a preconception about spiritual gifts that you would put that preconception aside for the next several weeks and that you would join in with as we study spiritual gifts. I pray that the Lord would refresh and build, and touch, and square away any type of divisiveness, and at the same time correct our theology if necessary. Because I believe there are some, even in this room tonight, that believe wrongly about these verses, and have perhaps even built your life around some of that proper uh, doctrine at times, and then at times wandered away from it. And so we'll pick up in verse 1. We'll take the first 11 verses here in chapter 12 tonight. And spiritual gifts, part 1. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, which was authored by you, Holy Spirit, as you spoke to men of old, whom then wrote those things down. Spirit, you preserved them and kept them unto this day. And you brought the word to us that we might be instructed in righteousness, in godliness, in proper doctrine, reproof and correction. And so, Lord, we give you this time and pray that you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want you to see how verse 1 here in chapter 12 opens. Remind yourself again that this was a giant letter 
These chapter and verse designations were added after the fact. The original letter was not written that way. And in fact, it was a single scroll with no markings whatsoever. And so when you got this letter, it wouldn't be chapter 10 and chapter 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 and 15. It would just be the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. So sometimes those little notes in your Bible, they're not from God. Sometimes those chapter designations are actually misleading. Sometimes the verse designations are also misleading. So what we want to go back to is what the original text actually says. And for the most part, your English Bible is absolutely accurate, but the way we've divided it up sometimes can send a message that I believe the Holy Spirit didn't intend. One of those is found right here in verse 1. Would it make any sense to you that the Apostle Paul would be writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit if the spiritual gifts that were given in the first century church were to not exist any longer for the Apostle Paul to spend not one, not two, but three chapters talking about them? Probably not. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Writing because the Holy Spirit authored these words. I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, spiritual gifts exist and I don't want you to be ignorant about them. You know that you were Gentiles, and you were carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. And the reason the Apostle Paul writes this at the very beginning is these people were pagan worshipers of false gods. And the pagan worshipers of false gods did all kinds of crazy, ecstatic, experience-driven things that got them into all kinds of trouble. And so there was a confusion about this experience they used to have when they went into the temple of Diana and they began to shout and chant and yell and scream, Great is the goddess Diana! And so they would whip themselves into a frenzy. And so the Apostle Paul, not wanting them to think that there was no such thing as spiritual giftedness or things that were spiritually inspired, he plainly says, about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, but let's not confuse it with the dumb things you used to do when you were in the temple of Diana. Make sense? He's trying to set the stage so that the church could understand what's being said which is going to follow. And therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus Christ accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's only one body, there's only one faith, there's only one Lord, there's only one baptism, and if you're in the body of Christ, that one Lord expresses himself in a way that it's primarily going to be known by us calling Jesus Lord. 
And so he begins by trying to stabilize all of this ruckus that was going on in the church. These crazy things. If there's somebody in the church that doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord, if we were to happen to have tonight, maybe some Jehovah's Witnesses who do not believe that Jesus is God, they have a problem with this passage. Because no one can call Jesus Lord unless they're one of God's kids. So you got a problem. Are you either not God's kids or is Jesus not Lord? Those two things equal the same thing, which is you don't believe that Jesus is God. So he begins by settling them down, saying, look, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit works, sends a unified message. And then he begins to speak about the gifts themselves. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And the reason this is so important that you look at these verses is because these verses help you interpret every single thing that follows. He's saying there is diversities of gifts. There are gifts of the Spirit. There are things that the Spirit does in the world. But the Spirit is one Spirit. The one Spirit does the same thing the same way. There isn't going to be chaos. There isn't going to be disorder. There are not going to be insanity that goes on in the church if the Spirit is involved in it. And then he says, I want you to notice something, that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Paul goes on as he speaks in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Guess what the next subject is in chapter 13. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not being a prophet. It's not the office of of apostleship. What is it? It's love. The apostle Paul sets the very tone of everything that follows by saying, look, You're all going to have a single manifestation of the Spirit. The gospel author John, as he writes his epistles, boils it down plainly for us in chapter 4. God is love. God is not manifested by by speaking in tongues. God is not manifested because you are or are not a prophet. God is not even manifested simply because you're a pastor or a teacher. God is manifested because Jesus said so. In this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have the gift of tongues. 
know if you have love one for another. He's setting the stage to turn our attention towards the very most important thing. And so he begins by talking about spiritual giftedness. Of course, the first gift, the gift of salvation itself, the second is the unity of the spirit that we have because every person in here is saved the same way. Amen? By grace, through faith, that faith is a gift. It comes from God himself. It's not because you can do anything, nor is the lack of you being able to do anything an indicator that you are not one of his kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you make any test for salvation beyond I have believed in whom I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed under the day of Christ Jesus, if you add anything else to it, including speaking in tongues, then you do not have the real gospel. There cannot be any other qualification besides the gift of faith to bring about grace, resulting in the forgiveness of sin. And so the Apostle Paul is being very meticulous here by the Spirit to talk about what truly matters for the church. There was division in this church. This church was a mess. And so he's going to point out these wonderful bonds that we have of spiritual unity. And to do so, he talks about the gifting that we should have. And I want you to notice something here. The church is capable of messing just about anything up. Amen? We can start to make it about all kinds of things. It can be about pews versus chairs. It it can be about which version of the Bible, which none of the versions of the Bible that we have are Greek, they're not Aramaic, they're not Hebrew, so in that sense, they're all translations, amen? And probably not a single person in this room is actually a Near Eastern language scholar. So if we were to bring in a bunch of Greek interlinear Bibles, you're all still going to read the English part. So God's not talking about those little things. He's talking about some very major things that we need to be aware of. So are the spiritual gifts alive in the church today? There's only two camps. There are those that believe that the gifts ended. And the reason that people believe that the gifts have ended and they're known as cessationists is because they don't want to deal with these particular things. And so it's easier to just say, well, they ended with the apostles. I don't believe that's supported by Scripture. The other group is the continuationists, which believe that they're in some way, some shape, some form, do still exist in the church, but they're to be used in a way that glorifies God, that brings about unity in love, And a sense that God is in it. So if something becomes divisive, how much do you think God is in it if there's one Lord, one faith, Ephesians 4, one hope, and one baptism? Do you think God wants us all divided along party lines, so to speak? 
well, you know, we do it this way, and well, we do it this way, and we exercise this gift, and we don't exercise that gift. That is an anathema to God. Because our goal is to not perpetuate those things. Our goal is to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ, which leads unto salvation. Amen? The goal is not to model a church. The goal is to model Jesus Christ and him crucified for the remission of sin. So anything that detracts from us being able to model Jesus Christ and him crucified for the remission of sin detracts from the gospel. In other words, a divided church is not God's plan. A church that can't get along with other churches is not God's plan because we're all part of that one body. The prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 actually prophesied that spiritual gifts would come about in the latter days. And then after I poured out uh, my reign again, I'll pour out my spirit upon my people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on the servants, men and women alike. So the Old Testament prophet Joel, speaking of the day of Pentecost, when the spiritual gifting would come by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, said this is going to happen. So for us to think that the Spirit would not pour out gifting on the church in the church age kind of doesn't fit. And in fact, Dr. Luke, as he authored Acts chapter 2, as Peter was speaking, guess whom he quoted? The Apostle Peter quoted Joel in Acts chapter 2. So the Apostle Peter said that there would be spiritual giftedness in the church, in the church age. So the Holy Spirit didn't come to just a small group of people for a certain amount of time. It was poured out on the church. And so there has to be some manifestation of it. So what about these gifts for today? I actually think it's very clear. And the reason I think it's clear is verse 1. Amen? And now concerning spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to think they don't exist, and I don't want you to abuse them if you should have them. And while this chapter does not give an exhaustive list, uh, there are several others. Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, Uh, Galatians chapter 5 all speak of this area of giftedness. These words now concerning are introducing a new subject. So Paul's shifting gears. He's saying, look, you were a divided church. I'm done talking about that. Let's talk about what should unify you. Special abilities given by the Holy Spirit are not some bizarre activity, some strange thing that when people see it, the first thing they think of is, wow, Christians are weird. I don't, you know, I don't know. If I have to be talked into doing that to be saved, I think there's a problem. Interesting that the word gifts here is actually charismata. Charismata. 
These are grace gifts. Sometimes you'll see pneuma charismata. Spirit gifts of grace. But they're nonetheless grace gifts. They're gifts that are those gifts given because we're the recipients of God's grace. Is there anything in God's grace that any of you can think about that divides people? That causes some kind of Christian caste system to where this group of people, because they have this gift, are really spiritual, but this group of people over here that don't have this gift, well, we're not even sure they're saved. Is anybody aware of anything in Scripture that's like that? Because I'm not. So if there comes an interpretation of these things that provides the platform for the enemy to divide the church by saying, if you have this, you're really spiritual and you can be in leadership because you obviously are more spiritual than everybody else because you have this and then these people over here do not have this, that cannot possibly be from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is given in equal measure to all with the manifestation of that being different according to the way God's made you. It's the plain teaching of Scripture. Now concerning these gifts, Paul says. Sometimes we use the word a spirit manifestation. The first fruit the subfruit, if you will, of love in Galatians chapter 5 there in verses 22 and 23. Did anybody know what the first fruit is? It's self-control, isn't it? So anything that causes a person to be out of self-control, unable to control themselves, unable to be talked to or prayed with, unable to be communicated with, unable to control themselves, could not possibly actually be from the Spirit of God. So if you're out of control, you're also out of the will of God. That's why when people start acting strange and we ask them to stop, if they can hear us and listen and they go, ooh, okay, that means they're still listening, they're still being able to be controlled by the Spirit of God, so we don't really have a problem with that. Maybe it was a mistake. But if somebody just keeps going off in gibberish and they're interrupting the church service, we're going to say you need to go to the first church parking lot. Why? Because they're out of control. It's no longer an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say that Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit's in them. There's always a continuation of the general work of the Spirit. Now notice verses 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So here's all these things that we could call gifts of the Spirit. But they're from the same Spirit. That same spirit wants to join the body of Christ together in perfect harmony and unity. We just covered on Sunday morning John's prayer in John 17. What, or Jesus' prayer. What was his prayer? I would, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. Amen? 
So if those gifts that come into the church start to divide the church up into 2, 3, 10, 50, or 20, you have to question whether they're actually from the Lord or not if Jesus' prayer for the church was that we would be one. So any manifestation of something that is supposed to be from the Spirit that divides up the body of Christ, I would say can't actually be from the Spirit. It might be from an understanding of a passage of Scripture. It might be from some type of interpretation of said same. But there's one Spirit. And that Spirit's not divided. Never has been, never will be. There are different ministries. In other words, different ways that things can be done in the church. Different things that the church accomplishes through the giftedness that God's placed in the church but the same Lord. What's the word Lord mean? Master. Amen? So if there's one master and there's one spirit, so if the spirit's behind the scenes driving thing and the master's actually calling the shots, should the church be broken up by things that we call gifts of the spirit? The answer is no. It's inconceivable that the spirit itself would be divided so that Jesus would, in essence, be two lords. Well, I'm lord over here this way, but I'm lord over here this way, and I tell these people that this is correct, and I tell these people that this is correct, and they don't agree. That's not one spirit. That's not one lord. That's two spirits and two lords, at least. You see how simple this is? People get hung up on spiritual gifts because they think that the division that they're talking about instigating is from the Lord. They're dividing people up. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works in all. You see the Trinity at work there? The Trinity at work in the church providing unity through a consistency in the way that we do church. And again, that's not total uniformity. That, that's not every song's the same. That's not every person prays exactly the same. That is simply saying that if there's something that one person says is from the Lord, and if you don't do it, you got a problem. And yet you can't find a reason that that needs to be done because Scripture says so. Very important truth for us. There are all kinds of services in the church, amen? We saw those last night, didn't we? There's the service of hot dogs, the service of pupusas, the service of snow cones. There was a service of worship and the service of prayer. There was a service of service. There was a service of administration last night. There was a service of helps last night. Those are all spiritual gifts. But you know what's crazy? They all worked together to a common goal to accomplish a single purpose. That purpose was unified in its goal, and that was to preach Christ to anyone who came through the gates. That's what church is supposed to look like. But there were all kinds of diverse things going on. All kinds of things that were, someone look at and go, well, you know, I don't know how you make pupusas under the, under the Lord. I can tell you how. I was standing in line. I'm going, there's too many people in line because they're all talking about Jesus getting pupusas. 
It was kindness, it was gentleness, it was meekness, it was self-control, it was people serving other people. Those things were being done to the honor and the glory of the Lord. There was spiritual giftedness in the way that food was being prepared. I saw it with my own eyes. So what about the gifts? They're absolutely working in our church. They should be at work in every church. And for the most part, I believe generally they are. But they'll bring unity. They'll, they'll have a beautiful diversity to them. You see, we hope as God's family that we're depending on the same God. Amen? I, I hope you hope that. Because if there's another plan of salvation and we don't know about it, oh no. If there's some other Lord and we have yet to meet him, oh no. If there's some other spirit that's at work and he's not in work in this church, oh my. Do you understand what I'm saying? There has to be one. And so if there is one, what would you expect out of the one triune God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit? You would expect there to be a tremendous unity while still allowing for us to be us. Amen? And that's exactly what a healthy church looks like. And so to that end, he gives a, a little tiny list here of these, of these grace gifts. But he, he says that these things are going to be tools. They're going to be things that we'll be able to accomplish the goal with. They should not ever be weapons that divide people. They shouldn't be ways for you to act in someone else's life to where they would become discouraged. I've sat down and prayed with people that have been told this is how you should look. This is how you should act. This is what should happen. If you're truly a child of God and it's crammed into box A and they're so discouraged because they never have that gift. I've sat and talked with people who for years were told they were not saved because they did not speak in tongues. I've listened for decades. People being told, well, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be in leadership. That is a tragedy and a travesty at the same time. It destroys the person and it eliminates them from the beautiful workforce that is the body of Christ. Because they get so discouraged, they just walk away. That cannot possibly be from the Lord. If there's one God, if there's one Spirit, if there is one Savior, and He loves all of us, then He's not going to interject some type of standard that some people have and other people don't as a means for us to determine whether that person is genuinely a believer or not or genuinely able to be used of the Lord or not. It's uncharacteristic of the Holy Spirit himself. Verse 8 Verse 7 actually says, and a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So any gift that is 
overly personalized, you might also call into question. They're not for private use. They're not a badge to be worn. They're not some ticket book that gets stamped. Well, I finally got this gift. They're a tool to be used for the kingdom and for the benefit of the church. And while it is true that every believer will have at least one gift, even if that gift is simply the gift of salvation, to where you become a living epistle. Amen? Isn't that what Peter said? You, you now can speak to other people because you yourself are a believer. That's a gift. There were people in the church at Corinth that believed that every person needed to speak in tongues. And we'll cover this in great detail in chapter 14. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another, and I want you to notice how they're separated. It doesn't say everyone will have all. It doesn't say everyone will have uh, even two or three of them. The way this is constructed in the original language, it just simply seems to indicate that people will have these gifts. Dispersed as the Spirit determines. Another faith by the same Spirit. Did you know that faith is a spiritual gift? Oh, brothers and sisters, I wish we had more people with the gift of faith that can just believe and trust God. We need people who believe and trust God. To another, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Again, the language there is very clear. It's not some bizarre, weird language that sounds like gibberish. It's the word glossa from which we get glossary. It means specifically language. The only alternate word used in this particular passage is dialectos, which means dialect, also attributable to language. Always in context, always in syntax, always understood by the person who hears it. And this is the same thing that comes up in Acts chapter 2. When those who heard all heard in their own glossa, language. Not something crazy, not something wild, not something no one can understand. They heard in their own glossa, their own language. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things. Notice this, distributing to each one as who wills? The Spirit wills. God wills. The triune Godhead wills. That's why when people come to me and they say, well, I want to teach you how to, for instance, speak in tongues or pray in tongues. That's contrary to this verse. It can't be done. No one can teach you how to do something that the Spirit gives. The Spirit distributes these gifts according to the Spirit's will, and only the Spirit can give you these gifts. That person can pray with you that you might receive that gift. But if they're going to give you a five-point outline as to how you're going to be able to do these things, you need to be very, very aware 
that that is contrary to scripture. So someone tells you, I want to teach you how to be a prophet. Can't happen. So if you've got a prophet school going on, it's getting shut down. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, and he gives them to men for the beautiful purpose of edifying the body of Christ. Not for creating a caste system, not for creating division, but for unity in the spirit, and the evidence of that is the bond of peace, isn't it? So we have to be careful. Because pretty soon we can make it about these things that Scripture says are still active in the church, But to what extent? It's up to the Spirit to will these things. It's up to the Spirit to speak these things into our lives. And to illustrate this, Paul simply gives us a list. As God gives these things, he says to some, he gives the gift of prophecy. Two types. Foretelling or foretelling. Foretelling is telling about something that's going to happen in the future that hasn't happened yet. Foretelling is speaking that which has already been spoken by God himself. That's what the prophets did and they were spoken to by God. Amen? So anytime you speak the word of God to someone, you're actually prophesying specifically in their life. Because here's what God said about that situation. But it can also be someone who has the gift of prophecy itself. God has given them the ability to see what's going to happen in the future. But I want to give you a real quick test here. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 18. You better be careful because if you're a false prophet, the only way to judge them is 100% of what you say must come true. And if not, you need to be stoned to death. So if you're wandering around going, thus says the Lord, you better be right all the time. So you want to make sure you actually have that gift before you say you do. Amen? Teachers. The two offices, apostle and prophets, useful in the early church. But the gift's still here. An apostle's just one sent with a message. In that sense, there is an apostolic ministry that each of you undertakes. There's prophetic word that sometimes each of us speaks as we speak forth the word of God. So the gift still exists while the office, I believe, uh, died with the prophets themselves, the apostles themselves. Teachers or pastor teachers, that's someone who just simply teaches what God has already said. It's what I'm doing right now. Some have that, some don't. Some would like to have it. But I can tell you this, I've watched an awful lot of people go to Bible college and it does not make you a pastor and a teacher. A matter of fact, I've watched people go to seminary and get master's degrees and doctors in theology and still not be a pastor teacher. Because sometimes it's not the spirit that's actually sent them. Sometimes it's just a desire, not necessarily a bad thing. But again, you can't be taught these things. They are gifts given by God. And if you haven't been given the gift, you've got to pray that God will give you the gift before you worry about whether you have it or not. An evangelist. All of us are to do the work of an evangelist. Amen? That's different than being an evangelist. 
An evangelist is someone whose primary call is nothing but sharing the gospel. A couple of examples for you. One of them is in heaven, Billy Graham. Another is still with us, Greg Laurie. Amen? They're evangelists. They primarily share messages that draw people to the Savior. I love Greg. He's a tremendous evangelist. That's his gifting. He happens to also be a pastor teacher. But he has the gift of evangelism. Gift of miracles. Being able to pray for those things which are inexplicable by human means and see them come to pass. I have seen literal miracles. I've seen children healed of diseases that the doctors said were terminal. I've watched people come back from battles with cancer that the doctors would say they'd be dead in a week, and they're still with us to this day 20 years later. God still does miracles. Some people have the ability to pray for, and God honors that prayer, and it brings about miraculous things like healing. Sometimes it's the miracle of taking care of somebody's financial need. It's all kinds of different miracles. And then he lists helps. Man, I am so grateful for the people in the church who have the gift of helps. I have no idea how many people exercised the gift of helps last night, but it was hundreds. Hundreds. Things, things like Harvest Fest don't just mysteriously appear in our parking lot. Amen? That's the gift of helps being exercised. Someone being put on, put on their heart by God, I want you to sign up and I want you to be in that booth for a while. That doesn't happen unless someone listens to God and exercises the gift of helps. I think a vast majority of people can have the gift of helps. It's one of those things that I think most of us can exercise. And I think God would like us to, to use it. But you have to pray for it. See, the problem is, well, if I ask for the gift of helps, I'll have to help. <laughs> so people say, well, I'd rather have the gift of administration. I want to be the boss. <laughs> Give someone else the gift of helps. The gift of administration is the gift of organization. We had that working last night as well. Nacho, Pastor Rob, Pastor Lester, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Jimmy, all the behind-the-scenes guys that were organizing all the stuff. And here comes the gift of administration, gift of helps working together with the gift of faith. Because we prayed for candy. You know there was a pile of candy about that high when they started it covered the whole stage in the high school room. Now, I don't know if we can actually thank God for giving cavities, but that was, that was faith. I mean, I, we needed like four million pieces of candy, and we got them. The gift of ministry, the gift of ruling. The gift of ministry is just simply to be able to do something for the Lord. How many of you can do something for the Lord? That's the gift of ministry. It means you can say, you know what, I would like to work in the coffee shop. I'd like to work in the cafe for the Lord. That is the gift of ministry. People often confuse that and say, well, you know, it's some type of thing that, you know, is in the church and it, it has a direct impact on the sharing of the word of God. And while that is also an example, the gift of ministry is anything that's done to edify the body of Christ. And I can tell you, looking at some of your faces, you need to be edified by some coffee right now. <laughs> 
like you back to <laughs> And ruling. It's the same category. In, in my pastorates, in my time in, the, in, the, in pastoral ministries, I am so grateful for these gifts. Especially in a church this size, without all these gifts in operation, this is an impossible task. It won't happen. I'm looking around the room and I see so many of you that faithfully serve in all kinds of different areas of the church exercising these exact gifts. These are gifts that are given by God for the glory of God, for the betterment of the body of Christ. Every spiritual gift is for that purpose. Even the ones that are a little more, shall we say, extravagant, like tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And we'll get to this in chapter 14, so I'm going to ask you to hang on. Very specifically, we're actually going to touch on it in chapter 13. Because if you notice the beginning of chapter 13, it's actually about the gift of tongues. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am as a sounding brass. But the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, I have been ministered to by the gift of interpretation a ton of times. Let me tell you one of the ways that happens. I speak internationally. I've done a number of conferences where I'm being translated in multiple languages and someone is listening to that interpretation of my tongue and they're hearing it in their own tongue. That is one of the examples of this being used. The other is a prayer language, and we'll get into this in chapter 14. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge. How many of you would like to have more wisdom? I would, and I am so blessed when I find people who have been gifted with a word of wisdom for me, because wisdom is very different than knowledge or understanding. The gift of wisdom is the ability or the capacity to use the knowledge and the understanding that you have correctly, amen? I'll give you an example of that. You know that you have to put fuel in your car, amen? Wisdom says you do it before you head across the country, amen? (laughs) See, knowledge says you got to do it. Wisdom says I'm going to do it, amen? People have that knowledge spiritually as well. They can speak into your life. You know, I I was just hearing from... I think you need to wait on that, Jeff. You, you got all these things correctly. The, the facts are there, but I'm hearing from the Lord. There's something that's going to happen. That's a gift of the word of wisdom. Someone speaks into your life and says, you know, I, I don't think it's now. That could be wisdom from on high. That word of knowledge might be a specific fact that you're missing. Anybody engaged in an argument with somebody only to find out you were missing part of the facts? Amen? But somebody comes along with that word of knowledge and they say, you know, the Lord had me share this with you because I was just walking and somebody walks up and they give you something that is exactly what you need. It's a word of knowledge. Giving. Excuse me, exhortation. Exhortation is that strong warning. It's to call someone out 
with the hope of making them understand from the Lord's perspective that God has a different plan. Exhortation, showing mercy, giving. Man, I was in Pastor Chuck's office and we were praying about a a specific facility that was to be purchased. And the price tag was pretty high. It was $1.6 million. And Chuck said, well, I don't really think so. You know, unless somebody, you know, wants to fund this. A guy came in that afternoon and plopped a million-dollar check on Chuck's desk. And he had no idea what for. He handled this massive business transaction. There was tremendous profit from it. The Lord just told him he needed to go in and give it to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Million bucks. It's a guy that was just hearing from God, had the gift of giving. I don't know about you, it'd be really hard for me to write that check. It's like, okay, I got the first four, I'm good with those. One, comma, zero, zero, zero. Can I put a dot right there, Lord? No, another comma. And a couple more zeros. And then you, really? The gift of giving. Showing mercy. You ever thought about the gift of mercy? It's new every morning from the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the people that can express it in your life day to day? Merciful people that know how to speak into your life. Look, you deserve this, but you're not going to get it because God is good. Pastor Dennis gave us a little of the gift of mercy. He's sharing with us, like waking us up, and it's like, here, here's the mercifulness of the Lord. The discerning of spirits, being able to know what the Spirit is speaking. And so to wrap this up tonight, these lists, that's all they are. Teachers, evangelists, helps, governments, ministry, ruling, which are all really kind of tied together. The speaking gifts, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. A gift of wisdom or word of knowledge also linked together. Giving and showing mercy. Being merciful to people. You want to know how people are often shown mercy? When you take care of a need that they have when they don't deserve it. Because that's what mercy is, right? It's receiving what you do not deserve. It's not receiving what you do deserve. What you do deserve is for you to not have that bill paid. And all of a sudden they're is someone with the gift of mercy. Bails you out at the last moment. Discernment. You can all exercise the gift of discernment to some extent when you simply speak forth what God has already spoken. If God's already said in his word, you want to give someone some discernment, tell them what God's word says. You'd be surprised how many people go, I didn't know that. That's the gift of discernment. You're saying, I know what the Lord has said. Let me share it with you. You see, we complicate these gifts very often. We turn them into something that's kind of like this, ooh. Like, wow, I got to, you know, go inside of some special locker in Pastor Jeff's office and he'll dispense them to me. No. The Spirit distributes these gifts as the Spirit wills.
But you do have to ask for them. You have to pray for them. You have to ask God to give you that spiritual giftedness. If you want these things in your life, ask God to increase your usefulness. It's one of those great prayers that we should all pray. Just simply ask God to increase your usefulness. You know what's going to happen? He's going to give you spiritual gifts. Because that makes you more useful. Amen? How about seeking some opportunities of service? You ever thought about that one? Sometimes people say, well, I'm not very gifted. Then you find out what their method of living is in their walk with the Lord. They never attempt to do anything. Put yourself out there and see what God does. He speaks through donkeys, you know. Amen? Put yourself out there. Say, God, I'd like to be used. Another great way is watch other believers. They cannot give you what they already have, but they can show you what it looks like when it's being used. And when they do that, here's what happens. That's awesome. I'd like to be able to do that. And so you begin to pray for that gift. And one of the things that we do at the Bible college is we sit these young pastors down and we pray for them. We ask God to specifically give them a gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of helps. We have pastoral giftings, the gift of interpretation of Scripture, a message from the Lord. Ask people who are alongside of you to see how you're doing in the Lord. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's a great thing to have somebody come alongside and and check out the way you're functioning in the body of Christ and say, you know what? That was awesome. Because I can tell you what we can all use from time to time. That's some encouragement. Amen? Be an encourager. Encourage people in the gifts. Let God use you that way. And while it's true, we'll, we'll delve into chapter 14 because almost the whole chapter really is about uh, th- this gift that we call the gift of tongues. While it's true that gift exists, we want to make sure that all of the gifts are used in such a way as they glorify the one God through the one Son who provided the one gospel, provided the one baptism, the one faith, the one hope that we all have. And so it should produce unity. And ultimately, here's what's going to happen. Exactly as we're going to see in chapter 13, love will become your highest motivation. You know, it's interesting as you grow in, especially in ministry, Almost every single young pastor I've ever met goes through two very specific and absolutely opposite times in their life. One is uber legalism. They're like over here and it's all about don't do this and don't do that. And if you do this, you're going to hell. And if you don't do that, you're probably going to heaven. There's uber legalism. And they find out that's a dead end road. Because it becomes about works. And by the works of the flesh is no one justified. Amen? So all of this doing that you say has to be done becomes a dead end. So here's what happens. You flip all the way to the other side. To the hyper-legalist. 
from the hyper-legalist to the hyper-libertine person. And so now all of a sudden, nothing matters. And we'll just do anything and everything because it's all about grace, man. Crazy thing. You know what balances those two things? Love. You know what it produces? Unity. You know why? There's one God. There's one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one hope. There's only one baptism. So those two extremes drive people away from love. The legalist makes it about the law. The libertine person makes it about their liberties that they can do. And both extremes are unloving. It's love that draws all those things together. The gifts of the Spirit are a beautiful thing when they're in operation in the church in a way that brings love and honor to the Lord. And I pray that's what happens with us. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. Father God, we thank you that you're not divided, that you, Holy Spirit, that you, Jesus, have a single message. That message is echoed through time. It's one of love and unity. It's one of peace and holiness. It's one of gentleness and meekness and self-control all at the same time. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would gift us as a church with these gifts. Lord, we pray for more that can pastor and teach. We pray for those evangelists to arise. We pray for those with the gift of helps and government. We pray for those with discernment, the ability to, to interpret. Lord, as we have people that come and have a word of knowledge, that there be a place for it to be spoken and received. Father, we thank you for how you distribute gifts to build up your church and to make us more useful for your kingdom. We pray that you would bless us, that you would use us, give us new opportunities, Lord. Be fruitful for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.